Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of August 14th, 2022. I know I call out for people to get involved a lot. I'm asking right now for a couple of what I think are really, really small things. The first is in the Slack or by email or whatever, you know, on LinkedIn, send me all the user journey stories you can. I want to update the data mesh learning website. So that way, you know, when people ask for is there a collection of user journey stories right now? I haven't really been doing a great job of updating it. So most of them are multiple years old. So if we can get that up to the 50 to 75 of companies that are talking about their journey, then we really can show a lot of people that this, is, uh, <laughs> this isn't some small movement or just a couple of companies. And then the second, please start sending me questions, like specific questions that you'd want me to ask. Jamac because I'm announcing Jamac's Corner. So starting next week, we will have episodes mostly weekly on most weeks of me asking Jamac about some very specific questions on data mesh. Each episode is about one kind of topic level question, you know, not a very, very singular question, but kind of a broader question. The first one being like, is uh, data mesh right for you? Is it going to potentially address your challenges? If you don't have these challenges, don't necessarily look at data mesh. And next, are you ready for data mesh? And then the third one uh, that we recorded is, what should you actually look for for your initial use case? How should you figure that out? How should you go about kind of getting started with that use case? So I know the general interviews I do can kind of meander. So driving more pointedly towards answers is, is crucial for helping a lot of people out there, helping a lot of listeners. Hopefully you enjoy them as well. Um, I always have fun having conversations with Jamak. And, and do send me questions for future sessions. I'll even do a Miro board ahead of the next recording session, uh, you know, a few weeks out for people to vote on which questions get asked. Uh, I'm also working to hopefully include a little kind of capsule at the end of each episode for just some little recommendations about, you know, other content that Jamak is enjoying, like books, music, movies. I know a lot of people out there like her recommendations, especially the little quotes that are in the Data Mesh book. Um, so I think it, it's going to be kind of interesting to help people kind of get to know and <laughs> kind of maybe help people take Jamak a little bit off off the pedestal. We want to also make her kind of just part of the community and that, that uh, she can participate as a regular person as well as um, kind of the uh, brilliant person behind the concept. So on this week, though, that's next week is when we'll have the first Max Corner. This week on Monday, we've got episode 113, and that's data governance in action. What does good data governance look like in data mesh? Which is an interview with Sean Kaiser and Gustavo Drakenberg from ThoughtWorks. They've been working with Glovo out of uh, Spain for two plus years. And this provides some really helpful perspective for looking back on that journey, as well as, you know, kind of the initial journeys that they're starting to help a couple other 
organizations with. So their suggested timeline for your platform and initial data product buildouts might be kind of shocking. And even you know, from some conversations I've had post, um, some thought workers are disagreeing. And I think it's important to kind of have that as part of the general discourse. I think there's lots and lots of useful things to kind of reflect on, especially around building your federated data governance muscle, your your federated your federated data governance practice. Don't say federated data governance uh, multiple times in a row. If you try and say it too quickly, it just becomes <laughs> a mess. Anyway, on Tuesday, it'll be episode 114, Protecting the Meaning of Data Mesh, which is Mesh Musings 26. Some people call me a zealot. I find that somewhat laughable, but it is what it is. This is an episode talking about why I'm so passionate and pushing back on those trying to significantly change the meaning of data mesh. Hint, it's not because I think data mesh is fully formed or has it all right. It's essentially to prevent confusion. Can't people trying to make these major modifications just call it something different, please, instead of (laughs) using the work of others? I don't think that's a fair thing, and I think it drives confusion, and that's not fair to people who run across your content if you're specifically confusing them on purpose for your own your own gains. That's, that's a, a not cool move. So on Wednesday, I've got a quick call to action about like, I, I'm not struggling to find guests, but I want more guests to kind of self-select. I don't want those to be vendors. I want this to be people that are in the journeys or people who have, who really considered data mesh and decided it wasn't ready for them, you know, that their organization isn't ready or that it's not the right fit for them. All of that. Like I want to talk to people that are early in their journeys, early implementers that there's so many listeners out there that are early in their journey and hearing somebody that represents them is really, really uh, interesting, right? Are you working on a data mesh implementation in some way? I want to work with you. I would love to work with you on creating an episode where we're going to have a fun conversation, a fun context exchange. I don't have specific topics really that I'm like, oh, I've got to have somebody who's an expert on X or Y or Z. Nobody's an expert yet. And there are so many interesting, diverse perspectives. And and even those, again, that, that could be skeptics or early in their journey, great potential guests. I do specifically call out as well in this, please suggest to other people um, you know, kind of adhere to the no a-hole rules. There are a couple of people out there that immediately, when I say the no a-hole rule, you'll think of, don't suggest them. <laughs> but I also really want to um, make the call out and specifically say, I am very, very open to uh, people from underrepresented groups. I really want to encourage that. I want our community to have good representation and be kind of the diverse landscape across IT. On Friday, we've got episode 115, Understanding the Data Value Chain, Your Key to Deriving Value from Data, which is an interview with Marisa Fish. So this is a really interesting conversation that I think it's one that you will probably want to go back and play every six to nine months because I think more and more of it will kind of sink in with you and you'll kind of reflect back and go, oh yeah, this really is something that that really stuck with me. One big thing that specifically that came from this for me was an incredibly pointed question. Why are you sharing this specific piece of information? Think about your intentionality around sharing, you know, data I I think of as the zeros and the ones, the information is 
the zeros and the ones plus the information to actually understand it, the metadata around it. But why are you doing this? Is it information for others so they can augment their own way of thinking, generating their own insights? Or are you sharing packaged insights, sharing someone's, you know, often your own point of view? Are you are you trying to make it so they can create their own insights? Or are you trying to share an insight? Or one that really occurred to me even after this, this conversation is you're trying to share the insight and the so what, right? Here's what I think you should do based on this insight. Why are we sharing information? <laughs> the intentionality around it is really important. I think it's an incredibly useful framework for communication. So now on t- no, I'll, I'll shut up now and we can get on to the interview episode summaries. Extended summary for episode 113, Data Governance in Action. What does good data governance look like in Data Mesh? An interview with Sean Kaiser and Gustavo Drakenberg. So in this episode, I interviewed Sean, and uh, who's the principal data engineer, and Gustavo, who's the delivery lead at ThoughtWorks. Both have worked on multiple Data Mesh engagements, including with Glovo, starting two plus years ago. From here forward in this extended summary, I will refer to Gustavo and Sean as one entity rather than trying to differentiate exactly who said what as it makes things more clear to group their thoughts together rather than trying to split them apart uh, over much. Sean and Gustavo started off giving the four general states of data governance in most organizations, none, centralized, decentralized, and federated. Many organizations, even quite large ones, have little to no major data governance and oversight. As previous guests have mentioned, many get fed up with data governance only being a cost center, especially if it doesn't even offer much risk mitigation or regulatory compliance, and they essentially do away with their data governance. Decentralized data governance is an anti-pattern in general with each domain or line of business coming up with their own approaches, making cross-domain boundary collaboration difficult at best. It's like each domain is speaking a different language entirely and trying to figure out how well you're working on compliance when everybody works in completely different ways is uh, pretty difficult. Uh, Many companies move to that centralized approach for data governance, but that often quickly ends up becoming a blocker without pretty specific controls in place. Rigid plus low throughput isn't great. Hence why Data Mesh pushes for the federated governance. Governance with a central group to make necessary decisions and policies, but where the people who understand best actually apply the policies to their work, namely the data products. So per Gustavo and Sean, the federated governance structure in Data Mesh in general should be a centralized board or team representing many different constituencies and capabilities throughout the organization necessary to make smart and informed decisions about policies, right? So you've got to have the right people. You've got to really think about what types of representatives or what capabilities represented do you need on your board? Then 
once they start to make the policies, the policies are codified and coded into the platform for domains to easily apply the policies to their data products. The centralized team should focus on making quick decisions by delegating, developing policy, researching, and the development of the policies to people within each of their own constituent groups, right? The capability groups, such as software engineering, platform, product, security, legal compliance, etc. That way, the leaders on the centralized board don't need to have all the context themselves for every decision to still make smart decisions as the people they delegated to can ensure their constituent group, their capability group, their needs are met. And the application of policies to data products at the domain level is made easy, or at least far easier, through automation. This setup gives the domains more freedom in how they apply the policies to the data products, but it also, again, makes it easier for them. On speaking about greenfield versus brownfield for data governance, of course, greenfield, meaning you know little to no data governance in place, is typically far easier, according to Sean and Gustavo. It can be you know a little disconcerting to see large organizations with very large data practices and little governance, but it's at least easier to only have to focus on creating and training instead of also evolving and unlearning. Either way, to move forward, look to build out the CYA or cover your butt, you know, aspects of data governance first and work to build a minimum viable data governance board. Then you can start to ask about needs and create a backlog to start working through. But again, make sure to focus the board on making decisions and impact, not as a political entity. Easier said than done but showing them how to make decisions quickly and efficiently is great. And with Data Mesh, policies can be changed or enhanced later. You don't have to get it perfect at the start. If you are in a brownfield deploy of your governance board, it can be a political minefield per uh, Gustavo and Sean as there may be over-representation of certain teams or there may be people who are attached to ways of working and all sorts of things. But you need to work to have the right representation of needs, the right diversity of capability on your governance board. So in a brownfield, in general, there needs to be a top-down mandate to really reshape the way your governance board is composed so you can get to that fast decision-making capability. As a reminder, this is somewhat counter what, to what Laura Madsen said on the uh, previous episode, where, but it does aim for the same outcome. You know, possibly look to disrupt your governance if it ever becomes too slow and the bottleneck. But she was specifically saying, if you can avoid them, stay away from the governance board. I think this is somewhat similar in in concept because the governance board doesn't have to be the one that's, that's digging into everything too deeply. So you've got your governance board together. How do you get going for something like Data Mesh? According to Sean and Gustavo, you should first focus on policies that positively impact the technical people, e.g. that all output ports on your data products should be registered in the data catalog. And it's okay to not get your policies 100% correct up front. You can adjust. Use a feedback loop to take in information about missing aspects to policies, uh, you know, and missing policies in general. Uh, 
are they meeting people's needs, right? Every policy should have incremental value. Security is obviously one of those where people might say, but does this have incremental value? And it, it does, right? Some people might consider it cost only, but it's quite important to address and risk mitigation is a value add. For Gustavo and Sean, as, as previously mentioned, in order to keep things moving, delegation is crucial. If there is a truly important decision with major implications, possibly the leaders of the different capabilities represented on the board need to get more deeply involved. But for most policies, those heads should delegate as much as possible to people they trust to represent their interests and move forward. We don't need the end approvers to be overly involved in routine decisions. Much like when purchasing a a solution, the CFO typically doesn't need to be involved in specifically deciding which data catalog to use if it is a small portion of the budget. The experts that you delegated to, they did the work and made a selection. You delegated to them for a reason, presumably. So let's trust them to to get to a good solution. Sean and Gustavo gave some advice around getting started in your data mesh journey in general. When they were working with Glovo, company management gave the team the time and budget to really build out the platform in tandem with the governance and the first data product. That took six months. Say that again. It took six months to get there, to get their first data product out. And coordinating across kind of all the four pillars of data mesh moving forward simultaneously was certainly not easy. If you don't have that amount of time and budget, you can do a relatively smaller proof of value or concept in probably three to four months. But it's important to note that Jumac has warned of premature scaling causing a fair bit of issues for a number of companies trying to implement data mesh. So trying to rush your proof of value or concept and kind of that initial data product and platform build out might not be the best idea. They also mentioned a pattern of the first data product at their clients not having PII as that complicates your initial platform needs for governance and to pick a relatively simple source aligned data product uh, use case as your first data product. As to who should have who should you have on your data mesh, you know, kind of tiger team if you are lucky enough to have some full-time heads to staff it? Gustavo and Sean recommended having one to two people from each necessary capability. So one to two data engineers to help build out the platform and upskill your domain team, one to two folks on the governance team, one to two from product or elsewhere to do the data product management, et cetera. And then obviously the domain you are working with needs to be heavily involved. And whoever is on the team, prepare to uh, do a lot of data product and data mesh in general evangelism. <laughs> it's important to understand that committing to data mesh is a big long-term commitment, financial and otherwise, per Sean and Gustavo. Your implementation can't be a skunkworks approach. You have to be committed to moving forward together so you can drive the necessary buy-in. And it isn't just the initial implementation. You have ongoing growth of your implementation and maintenance. This is partially why so many guests have mentioned delivering continuous incremental value to make it easy to secure additional funding necessary for building out your data mesh as you move forward. 
when asked about what parts of your federated computational governance should be in the platform versus at the data product level, Gustavo and Sean believe you should always look to create the affordances and the easy path in the platform. The application of policy via the platform is the best way to ensure compliance and also standardization, which it makes that standardization makes it easier on data consumers where people aren't completely coming up with their own data quality definitions for each aspect. But any decision relative to the specific context or needs of the specific data product should be made at the product level, should be made by the domain teams. So the decisions about how to measure data quality characteristics would be at the platform level, but the SLAs to meet for a specific data product would be set at the data product level itself by the domain team. In wrapping up, Sean and Gustavo wanted to reiterate that data mesh isn't easy if you want to set yourself up for long-term success. It is going to take a lot of effort to get it going and deliver your initial data product and platform and governance policies. But by spending time to do it right, you will set yourself up for gaining a lot of momentum. Don't get discouraged and be prepared to get things wrong and then fix them. That's totally okay. Play, learn, iterate, and improve. Extended summary for episode 115, Understanding the Data Value Chain, your key to deriving value from data, which is an interview with Marisa Fish. In this episode, I interviewed Marisa, who's the Director of Information Management at American National Bank. To be clear, though, Marisa was only representing her own views on the episode. So Marisa started the conversation sharing that she is hard of hearing and how that has strongly impacted the way she interacts with the world. With her often missing certain words in conversations, she and her brain's linguistic processing have to work in a far different way to fully comprehend the meaning of what is being discussed. And we need to think about how we can use a similar approach to data. We won't always have all the context. How can we apply neuro-linguistic approaches and human data processing frameworks and apply them to data to better expand our understanding of the data, right? We've got these frameworks for how the brain works, but we're not applying them to data. And so it makes it so the data is more incomprehensible than it needs to be. For Marisa, anytime you are sharing information in the form of data, it's important to understand that it isn't just machines communicating with each other. In all forms of sharing information and knowledge, you should ask, am I trying to mimic and share one person's way of thinking, or am I trying to augment the way of thinking of the audience? In other words, am I trying to share one person's understandings, their insights, or am I trying to give someone else the information to create insights and deepen their own understanding? Both are very valid and helpful, but really focus on what is the actual goal of the information exchange? Am I just giving you the data so you can derive your own insights, or am I supposed to be giving you the insights myself? Marisa recently moved from a 25-plus year career in the U.S. Department of Defense into the financial sector, so she is learning a completely new language, actually almost several. 
the terminology, you know, the business terms specific to financial services, the ways of exchanging information, the way information and requests flow, etc. From her years of working with very high impact information exchanges in the DOD, you know, Intel drives foreign policy and can put many lives at risk or save lots of lives. She understands the cost of data producers and consumers not aligning. So she recommends to start from a conversation of what is the point of this data request or work. As Jean-Michel Coyer said, not in a combative way, but it's crucial to ask and to, to really figure out why are we doing this? It's really crucial to dig into the use case and business need for a few reasons. That context exchange is crucial to driving any data initiative forward, including prioritization. The data producers asking the consumers what they are trying to achieve means they have the context to better serve their needs instead of the data consumers having to know every requirement up front. They have far too many known unknowns about the data, and it also ensures that there is a business reason for the ask. How are you, the data consumer, going to derive value for the business from what we plan to share? If it isn't going to drive value, is there a benefit to doing the work? Marisa and I discussed how difficult it can be to openly share data internally without really knowing what the downstream use cases are. As past guests have noted, especially Sarita Basque, who is at the JP Morgan Chase, without understanding the exact use case, domains will not share as much of the data in most cases. Why? Because it's very easy to get into non-compliant use. If they share a bunch of data and somebody uses it in the wrong way, they're the ones that are <laughs> at fault for somebody using it non-compliantly. And it's also easy for people to misinterpret and misuse data if you don't give them the context to truly understand what it means. East Oldfield had talked about that in his episode. So to have a more open sharing environment, especially in an industry or organization where data policies are stringent, sharing the context with each other is crucial. Data consumers must share about target use and how they will prevent misuse. The data supply chain, which is the core way to think about how you derive and deliver value from data in Marisa's view, breaks down into three parts. The data itself, the data insights slash analytics, and the management of the data. If we look at data mesh with this lens, we are asking domains to at least take on sharing the data and the management of the data, with a lot of help from the platform, of course. But as many guests have noted in the past, data mesh practitioners are somewhat split on how far the mesh data product extends. Do you want to prepackage the insight for, for consumers or just package the information up so they can derive their own insights? I think we are coming to an early pattern of it's both, where possible and valuable. Look to Xavier Gumara Ragul's episode for an in-depth dive into this. Marisa shared about her work in the library and information sciences world and how it applies to data. When it comes to exchanging data, so much of what we do currently is about the known knowns. The consumer knows what data they want and what questions they want to try to answer with that data. That is only one of the four quadrants of information between known and unknown. You know, While it can be truly difficult to grasp the unknown unknowns, 
not knowing what information sources or data you want and what questions you want to answer. The known unknowns and the unknown knowns are crucial to understanding our or to expanding our understanding of what is occurring within our organization. Known knowns is I have questions, but not sure what data can help me answer them. And unknown knowns is I know what I want to analyze and and leverage this data, but what can it help me answer? Or what is the data telling me? That kind of data spelunking thing that I talk about a lot. There's a big difference between a publisher of data and a data librarian in Marisa's view. And you should look for the data librarians. A publisher of data is someone who just provides the ones and zeros and not the real information. A data librarian is someone who facilitates finding information, finding insights. So how can we do that at the organizational level? It's difficult enough to get people to be that data librarian for their own domain. How can we do that across domains? Does that need to be at the platform or is it more of a human level approach? Is it we want to both to overlap and serve as much as we can, where we have both the platform and human level trying to support that. We don't have answers yet, but I think it's it's a really important question to consider and look to answer. On moving your data team away from a service-based model, Marisa and I agree there needs to be someone pairing with C-level executives to make sure there is information gathered and you know, collected to support their key initiatives and even data produced when you think about what we're actually trying to do with data products. This would be a kind of chief data analyst, right? Rather than ad hoc questions and I'll get the information for you, it's someone aware of the key initiatives to the company that is ensuring insights are being manufactured to support those initiatives. There's a major mismatch in most organizations between what insights the business units are producing and the key questions the C-level execs care about. In data, so much of the work most organizations do is a direct reaction to a request or question instead of focusing on how are we going to derive value from this work for Marisa. We need to take practices from engineering and not just software engineering on requirement gathering and understanding. How many people in the data space have really trained in proper requirement gathering? Is this mismatch between gathered asks and what the project actually needs to succeed the reason why so many data initiatives fail? Stop simply reacting to requests. Ask why this matters. What will what value will it drive? My favorite data mesh word, intentionality. For Marisa, think of it as, you know, quote unquote, mission engineering. Why are you doing this? What is our mission? And does this work support our mission? Per Marisa, we as humans collect information ourselves, not, you know, in our systems. When we do that, we mostly do that through hearing and vision. So how do we think about our electronic information collection system? Can we get our systems to better mimic the way humans collect and process information? Again, this is kind of that neuro-linguistic stuff that was uh, mentioned earlier as she uh, works a lot as a, a linguist. So should we try to mimic you know, the way that humans experience information and process it since humans have inherent bias? What can we learn from the way humans collect and process information and then improve upon those? What is the science of intelligence and how can 
that impact the way we build systems. Our brains execute a series of program for information processing. How can we leverage multiple frameworks to do the same? So we aren't just trying to do one approach. A lot of these are questions that haven't really been addressed well when we think about um, the data and analytics space. And uh, you know, Marisa thinks, and I agree, that this could add a lot of value if we can figure out how to do this much better.